Welcome to Behind the DM Screen. It is a podcast where three DMs get together and talk about their games and help each other out. This is March. Yeah, we're in March now of 2014. Uh, Sam. Yes. You're first, and you get some extra time because I haven't started the timer yet. Oh, like two seconds. All you right. Can, you Woo. can go ahead and keep going uh, while I'm You just, you just right. blew it. Cool. I know. I just, I just blew it saying how great it was to have two extra seconds. Okay, well, uh, my game. Well, so it turns out that uh, since we last talked, I've only met with one of my groups. My other group, I had to cancel the game I, uh, one of the weekends for various reasons. But um, so what happened in my basic game last time now my basic game only meets once a month but we play for a 12 hour session so uh so it's it's kind of like meeting three times um and uh so that's the game where uh, i was i was running them through the sort of murder in Baldur's gate part uh, you know sort of setup and they took over the town and they're impersonating the regent and you know they're they're trying to set up a whole bunch of stuff well um they decided that um if if people catch on to the fact that they're they're impersonating royalty, basically. Or if if he comes back, um, they're going to be in deep trouble. And they've decided that they need they need to get a militia together that is skilled, so that they can uh, be able to maintain control in the town. Um, and so they did a little bit of research, and they contacted this uh, this illustrious sort of uh, garish, gaudy halfling. Um, merchant who is a very well-known merchant and they have uh, contracted with him to get a loan so that they can hire basically an army. And they have to go and they decided that they would have to go travel to this other – this other pillar where so in this world all everybody is lives up on the mountains and so all the towns are in these pillars because it's very dangerous outside and all this kind of stuff so they decide they're going to have to go to this other pillar to to get their army together because that's the pillar that's the only pillar that has an official like training area for you know they're well known for their for their militia for their for their army training kind of thing but the problem is that 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 pillar that that has that well-known army, the reason they have that is because that area of the world is really heavily infested with orcs. And one of the characters has a backstory that he, he was um, he was traveling with his wife and and their family, and they had this huge entourage of seventy or eighty people, seventy or eighty people, and they um, uh, they were traveling to a, a wedding, some kind of royal wedding, and then they were traveling on their way back, and they got ambushed by orcs and like something like you know 80 percent of their 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 entire traveling party was slaughtered including his wife and children and everything so he has this whole backstory so he says well i'm not going over there because i'm not i'm not that stupid i we're not prepared to meet those orcs and i'm not going to go over there so half of the party okay so i've got three players but they're each playing three different characters except one guy had had someone die so there's um there's a total of Eight P- eight PCs, and they have all these hirelings that they they have all these bodyguards that they've hired because they realized that they they were impersonating some pretty powerful people and they that made them targets. Um, so they uh, they split the party, and half of them go to to try to um, they and they're carrying fifty thousand gold pieces, but it's actually not gold pieces; it's fifty thousand dollars worth of gold ingots. And so they're in this big chest they're carrying, and so they have all these bodyguards carrying this, and they're traveling far, far away. And so they're traveling for three or four days. They get attacked by some trolls, and they 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 beat them pretty soundly. They they have really no problem because there's so many of them. They're they're traveling with so many people, and then they get ambushed by orcs. And um, out of the fifteen bodyguards that they brought, there are five surviving. One of the PCs almost died, but but all the PCs ended up surviving. But they only had four of the PCs, so there were about twenty of them, including four of the PCs. And now they're down to like six or seven people because so many of these people just got slaughtered. So that's kind of where the last session ended. And so I'm trying to figure out. And now, okay, now if you're a player in my game and you happen to find this podcast, mm-hmm. turn it off right now. You are not allowed to listen to this. Um. I'm trying to figure out what I'm going to do when they get to the other pillar. And uh so I'm th- I'm thinking that that perhaps um the orcs have taken over that other pillar and that 
that town has been completely basically demolished. But I'm not sure I want to do that. What do you guys think? <laughs> the crowd goes silent. This crowd goes silent. Do you need more background <laughs> on the world? It couldn't hurt. A little bit. So this so this world um for any of you listeners out there, I have actually released a a, a 30-page world document <laughs> on my website. Um but anyway, you should uh, tell people where where that your website is. That is rpgmusings.com. And um, so basically what happened is uh, about 3,000 years ago, there was uh, a world-changing event and um, everyone who lived sort of in the world, in the known world, the civilized world, they were forced up to the mountaintops because there was this huge phantasmal corruption that was coming along and it was um, – uh, it was disrupting all of the normal life forms. So all of the plants started to change and and all kinds of weird stuff, and they realized they could no longer live down there. So everyone migrated up to the mountaintops in, in, this, in this huge event called the Great Migration. And when they got up there, they uh, started building these towns, and, they, and at night they would get attacked, and it was horribly unsafe up there. And so they tried to find the safest areas, and they started building their towns – in giant pillars rather than a sprawling sort of open air town, they built these huge stone pillars that are five or six or seven floors. And some of them have floors underground and whatnot. And so that's where all the towns are. And so there are 11 major towns all along these mountain ranges in the known, in the known sort of world. Um, There's been some changes with some of the, some of the gods because as time went on, you know, people, their, the religions kind of changed. So there's this whole sort of background thing, but basically the long and short of it is that every town is is a pillar and every pillar is sort of a sovereign nation. And they, they all are on these separate little peaks of, of these different mountain ranges. And so it takes a while to travel. When they got up there, they realized that all these mountain ranges were connected with these really ancient footbridges, some of them that span for miles and miles and miles. And so it takes you know, sometimes a whole day to cross this giant bridge, and they have no idea what technology is keeping those things stable and, and all that. So there's lots of sort of mysterious, weird, dangerous stuff going on. Mm. Um, but um, but the, each, each pillar is sort of known for something like the the Oriate pillar is is known for you know having lots of sages and the pillar that they're going to all the pillars are named for the colors of the stone that because they built the pillars out of stone and the different mountains have have a different preponderance of different ores in the stone so they have different colors and so they're all named kind of for colors and so the so ru- the Russet pillar then is made out of potatoes right. Yes, it's from Idaho. Yes, it's made. It's it's yeah, it's uh, it's red. <laughs> um, but so they all sort of have all these things they're well known for, and um, so that's kind of the background. And so um, you know that's kind of what it is. So it takes a, at least two days to travel from one pillar to the other. And uh, there's this huge cloud layers all over everything. So people don't really go down below the clouds anymore because it's way too dangerous and there's lots of mystery. So. That's that's okay. what's going on. So now ask us your question again. Yeah. So the question is, so this group, they've split the party and mm-hmm. half of them have traveled with all their bodyguards and 50,000 gold pieces worth of ingots to try to go hire a, 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 a train – a militia that's already trained, OK? Right. But on the – and they're going to an area that's notorious for having these orc raids mm. and on the way there, they get attacked by orcs and they, they get – they have a lot of losses, Okay, like they they lost more than so. There are fifteen bodyguards, and then there's four PCs and a couple of specific NPCs. So there was almost you know like twenty twenty two people. They're down to like seven people. Mm-hmm. So they a lot they lost a lot. Of them. They they slaughtered a lot of orcs, but they lost a lot of them. And it was by no means the the major part of the orc force. Um, mm-hmm. And so I'm trying to figure out if I want to how I want to deal with them. You know, going forward, and I'm. I think I'm trying are, are, to decide are, are, if you I, think. Do you have an idea of? So, I mean, are they going to sort of stubbornly keep keep moving forward, or are they going to? Yeah, they're 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 stub. Well, see, right now they're now closer to their destination than it than it than they would be if they turned around turn to around. go home. So mm-hmm. it's actually safer for them to keep going. So I'm trying to. My my question is, should I have when they get to the next pillar where they think they're going to find civilization and and hire this big army? Should I have that? place be overrun with orcs well what what in your mind what is it now is it overrun with orcs 
Um, in my mind, that's an option. I have. I, I honestly have not decided yet. Do they have kind of major? Are there major villains in this? There, so there, there is a there is a major villain group. It's called the Blue Shroud, and they are a group that um, that runs the black market in the world. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's sort of like a it's it's sort of like almost like the Red Wizards kind of. Yeah, it's not right. exactly the same, but that's basically how it is. Where they they actually have some powerful mages in the group. They're not just like you know the black market people but they they that's where they got their start that's how they have so much money and so then you know lots of powerful people came in so now it's kind of a a powerful organization run by some mages mm-hmm. so not to not to channel stephen mm-hmm. king but what's yeah. the truth like what's the truth about that tower what is most likely to have happened at that is it a safe place is it overrun is it under siege um hmm I don't know. I haven't. Yeah, given, I, I given honestly, the, given I the science, and, given the science, and given yeah. the, the politics. Of I mean, well, how, and, and, so and, and, given. So and, let me put it this way: the reason why it's even in my mind that that could actually be the case is because they have spent a lot of time in their own pillar, and they didn't give a crap. The, the players I'm talking about, they didn't give a crap about to learn anything else about the world, mm-hmm. um, and so. Um, when they started asking about, you know, where could they find this or where could they find that, I gave them sort of the most general basic information, and I said, well, you don't really know. I mean, you know, you, you're just you're, you don't really know, right. but you know that this area is is the only pillar that has sort of a training ground for that. And so they didn't really say, oh, well, let's try to find out some news and what's going on there lately and this and that. They just they were just, like, okay, we got to go. Gather everybody we're go up over there. Let's let's gather up fifty thousand dollars worth of, and I mean fifty fifty thousand dollars worth of gold ingots is a lot of money for them i mean they're not high level they're they're they are doing some crazy stuff for being low level mm-hmm. pcs this is all so this is a basic D D. basic D D. yeah oh, wow. yeah so they're you know they're basically yeah unforgiving they're they're basically walking on a tightrope right now and i'm not sure if i well here here's the thing is that if they get there and the place is overrun by orcs i can have them sort of get to the outskirts of town and see or the outskirts of the pillar and see like plumes of smoke. I can have them start smelling smoke from miles off. And then mm-hmm. as they get closer, they see like all this devastation and, you know, they can run into um, this area also happens to have a lot of farming around it. I think, they, I think it could also you know, be interesting if like, okay, so, so let's say we go the route uh, or you go the route of the mm-hmm. orcs have sacked the pillar mm-hmm. Um and then, well, they would take it over. They wouldn't just sack it. They would now be well, living there. Right? Sure, but yeah. then make you know maybe the orcs are more informed about what's going on than they are. So they show up, and the orcs are, the orcs are there, and they're they're hauled in before you know the magistrate or the or the chieftain or whatever you want to, however they're organized, right? But mm-hmm. um, you know they're hauled in, and and you know this guy knows who they are. Right, because he's informed, and, and mm-hmm. they, they've been playing as if they're rulers of some other pillar, right? Right. Well, and and also it, that would work too, because a couple of the orcs escaped when they start. You know, when the tide yeah. turned, they, they yeah. sailed them around. So suddenly, them. it can turn into uh, a more diplomatic, you know, uh, es- almost espionage sort of c- scenario, mm-hmm. right? Uh, yeah. Instead, instead of a oh no, now we got to take on a whole city full of orcs, right? It can turn into. Hey, now we got to talk our way out of this thing, and maybe our city gets you know hosed in the process or whatever. Mm-hmm. But we got to save our skins. If the orcs, if the orcs had which pillar are we talking about? This I'm is the Malak map. The, the Malachite pillar, so it's uh, directly to the right, east. The so the, they're from they're from the Viridian pillar, and so they went directly east and they yeah. crossed the the longest footbridge, gotcha. and now they're in the Malachite pillar. Um, so the reason it, that they that I had the orcs attack honestly is because they spent so much time in the Viridian pillar just doing intrigue type stuff yeah. that we hadn't really had a large combat. Uh. Yeah. So that was their first sort of taste of some real major. I mean, they had had a little bit of combat at the the first session, but and this had, has been their major combat in in the last three sessions. And now they've had combat and they lost eighty six people. Yeah, and they and they lost. They got massacred. Really, I mean, it, it really. It, <laughs> if, go if, back if, to if was, yeah, if there was like a history, if they're going to write the history, some bard somewhere is going to be like, oh, this is the massacre of you know. Right. How did the players feel about that? Were they okay with it? Did they are they bummed? Um, <laughs> my, my. Well, so what's really funny is that all the people that they had with them in the little sort of pseudo militia they had were all women, because oh, 
when he was looking around, you know, when the sort of the leader of the group was looking around for um, for for people to train <laughs> and get, he he went down to the jail cell where they were, where all the sort of criminals were housed, and he was trying to get some men to volunteer. You know, I'll let you out of jail if you agree to be part of my militia. And then he saw these women all dressed really nice in the jail, so he was like, "Oh, those must be prostitutes," and he passed them by. And then he found one guy that had any training at all, and he was like, "Oh, pick any men out of here, and I'll let them out, and you can train them." And he was like, I don't want any of these stupid men. And he was like, well, what should I do? And he's like, see those women over there? (laughs) So it turns out these ladies are a a really famous group of sort of militia trained women who who are are pretty badass. But now he's responsible for like – you know, fifteen of them. All of their dads, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So so there's there's a whole bunch of little threads here. So it could also be that, you know, at this point they need a safe haven too. Yeah. Yeah. So, right. And, well and, that's that's yeah, kinda of like what's you know, not to give them what they want all the time. Right. But like what's the most fun for the you, group? you don't want to bum them out either and make them not. Right. Well, so not let, so much. at the end of the combat, <laughs> the, the the leader of the group who's probably the guy who's been role playing the longest, he said this is the hardest fight I, I have been in, the hardest combat I've been in in years. <laughs> was because he had a smile on his face when he said that? He, yeah, he was okay. I mean everybody was really tired because it was like 2 in the morning by that time. But he was <laughs> like, that was the hardest fight I have had in months or years. And so you know, I think they're okay with it. But it, but I, my choice is really do I want to keep pushing them because it – honestly, I hinted it's really stupid if you go over there by yourself because mm. – and with fifty thousand dollars worth of ingots, okay, yeah, you're you're gold. you're asking you're, for it. you're going to get robbed. Now, yeah, and it's face D and D. I mean, you I know, mean, you tried to play up the threat, and and they did it anyway. I, I, I'm right. sort of inclined to say that the orcs are there, but to to mix things up to go the more diplomatic route rather than than a, a full scale combat. Um, and I think it's also worth considering. I mean, I'm I'm looking at your map here as well, and it's I think it's worth considering that. Um, I mean, that's. Almost, you know, that's one of the nearer pillars to their home pillar, right? Mm-hmm. So, yeah. so the consequences of the fact that the Oryx have conquered that pillar could mean greater it's- threats for their homeland too, right? Well, the other thing is the Oryx could accuse them of being emissaries of the Blue Shroud. Mm-hmm. So there's, there- there's lots of ways to go, yeah. Yeah, and we already hit time. Yeah, but, um, yeah, but one, I have one question for you. Yeah. Uh, what mapping program are you using to do your awesome hex map? So that hex map was made with Hexographer, which is a little program by Inkwell Ideals Ideas. Inkwell Ideas. Blah. It's a, you can get it at hexographer.com. There's a free program and then there's a pro version that costs I think thirty bucks. He also does a dungeonographer, which is not hex based, and he does a cityographer that he ran a Kickstarter for. Great little programs. Yeah. Huh. Awesome. Because I also have Campaign Cartographer three, but it's like a CAD program, and unless you're making a really intricate map, it's a pain in the butt. Way and more than you need, yeah. Yeah, every time I would want to do something, I'd have to reteach myself everything. Mm-hmm. So, Hexographer's great. Hmm. Yeah. Cool. Well, are we done with you? Yep. All right, Mike, are you unless done with you have him? Questions. Sure. Uh, I have more questions, but I'll save them for next time. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> um, before we move on to our next uh, DM. I want to mention our great sponsor, Noble Knight, Noble Knight Games over at noblenight.com. They're a brick-and-mortar store but also an online store that specializes in finding out-of-print books as well as carrying the the newest and greatest releases. And my pick for this episode is The Tomb of Horrors, the old school written by Gary Gygax, 32-page, published in 1981 Tomb of Horrors. Oh, the one with the little booklet of illustrations. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Now I, I chose a later printing because later printings are significantly cheaper. This one's you know ten bucks for the Tomb of Horrors uh, is not a bad deal for something. Is that the uh, green colored one? This is the fourth printing, and it, yes, it says green. Nice. So there you go. Any anybody else have any insights on the Tomb of Horrors? It's I, you know it's one of the classic adventures I've never run. Wow. Yeah, it is a it is a fun romp if you just want to uh, roll up some high level characters and run them through, knowing they're probably going to die. 
um, it's fun. Yeah, I'm yeah. not sure I would I would throw it into a campaign. Not that version. I wouldn't probably throw yeah, it into yeah. a campaign because it's too deadly. If and if my character, if my players worked really hard to get their PCs up to eight between eight and fourteen level, yeah, I probably wouldn't wouldn't do it. But you know. And maybe I don't know. And, and I guess a, it depends it, if they made me mad. It's a classic piece too, right? Um, it is. It is very classic. It has all the classic tropes. It's it's yeah. a fun house of tricks and traps, and and you have to use your brain. And if you do something stupid, you're likely to save or die. You bet. <laughs> so that's our pick. And tell them that the Tome Show's entry. Noble Knight is a long-standing game store specializing in finding out-of-print games while also offering the newest great releases, including D and D. They got it from any edition. That's right, all of them. What if I want a board game? Card game, minis, or dice? Noble Knight has it all, and at a discounted price. In fact, Noble Knight has over 30,000 unique items on stock. And you know you can trust this Better Business Bureau accredited store with a satisfaction guarantee. Yeah, but I've bought too many things over the years. How can I justify spending even more? Good thing we're talking about Noble Knight, then. They'll buy your old gaming things and offer you cash or trade, so you'll be able to keep up with all the great gaming stuff you want. Check them out at noblenight.com. Wow, I'll go today. And be sure to tell them the Tome Show sent you. And we're <laughs> back, and guess what? It's my turn. Uh, so, we have continued our return to the Temple of Elemental Evil campaign. I, I don't think I'm going to get to say that too many more times. I think we're going to be done fairly soon. Um, and and appropriately, as you reach the last chapter of Return to the Temple, Element, return to the Temple of Elemental Evil, you know what they do? Hmm. They return yeah. to the Temple of Elemental Evil. <laughs> ah. <laughs> nice. They, they visit it in chapter one, and then you like ignore it for this massive seven hundred room dungeon, and then you come back to it at the end. Ha 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 ha! And I even pulled that out. I even said, "Aha!" So as you start the day, you return to the Temple of Elemental Evil. <laughs> and they all thought I was stupid, but <laughs> <laughs> not us. We think it's cool. Yeah. So so throughout this whole. Um, Thanks. So the, the storyline is basically that, that the, the big, huge temple that they were dealing with for most of the campaign um, has sent off one of their, their main leaders, the, one of the members of, their, of the triad, who's, who's one of the three people who, who all this time has actually known what's going on. Most people in the organization have no idea what the real true goals are or who you, they're really worshipping and all that. It's a little like Scientology, right? They, most people haven't reached the right <laughs> level to know what's happening. No offense to any, any Scientologists who might be, Scientologists right. who might be listening. Um, so, you know, <laughs> at this point, they, they wanted to go through and find all the members of the triad that were still left behind. And so they've already killed two of the three members of the triad because they wanted to make sure, you know, once we finish this, we don't want it to, somebody else to just take up the cause and, and keep pushing forward. Like we want to actually cripple this cult or if not end it forever. Uh, and so they took out the other members of the triad back in the Temple of All Consumption. Now they're back in the, in the Temple of Elemental Evil. They're hunting down the last member of the triad. But that last member of the triad is there to open up the elemental nodes that have been buried under the ruins of the temple when it w- was initially destroyed in the original Temple of Elemental Evil. Uh, and and at, on their way there, suddenly you know the earth trembled and a plume of smoke rose from, from the ground in the, in the area of the temple because they had opened up the fire node, right? Mm, okay. And meanwhile, I have a character – so one of the things they need to open up these nodes is a champion of Therizdun. And, and Lareth the Beautiful, who was the big bad guy in the original, is their champion of Therizdun. But I've sort of woven in this other thing where one of the, the player characters – um, inadvertently made choices that made himself another champion of Therizdun. And so he's slowly been going crazy and he's got weird purpley veins running through his skin now. Is this, is this the same guy who was uh, talking to Asmodeus? No, this is a different guy. Okay. Asmodeus is is helping out this guy because, you know, Therizdun's not good for any god, good or evil. Right, right, right. And so, but this guy's been hearing voices and going crazy the entire time. And, and okay. The whole idea and, – and we'll get into some of that a bit. But, but so they're all aware that, that uh, Imix has been released. The, mm-hmm. the fire node is open and Imix has been released and that's not good because now even with just one elemental prince of evil, there is a chance that Therizdun could be uh, released, right? The more of those princes they can, they can free, the better chance they can, they can get Therizdun sprung, 
so to speak, right? So now suddenly they find themselves with um, with a timetable, right? Now they're in a hurry. It's for, throughout the entire campaign, it's been we want to w- take out every single room and go through this thing methodically and not miss, leave anything <laughs> behind us and everything. Now all of a sudden it's like ah, Imix is free. We got to stop this, right? Or in the case of the one guy. I got to go meet my master, right? <laughs> <laughs> so you have so how many players do you have? Five. And so four of them are like, we got to stop this guy. And the fifth is like, I'm going to go say hello. Well, what they don't know, none of them except for one guy knows. So inside the, the Temple of All Consumption, there is the Tabernacle of Utter Darkness. And inside the Tabernacle of Utter, utter Darkness, there is a, a, a chance that if you do the wrong thing and touch the, the wrong things, your soul can be sucked out. And replaced by this unfettered soul that's that's turned evil and works for Therizdun. And that happened to one of our players. Mm-hmm. And then there's like a 50-50 chance. Either that, that soul who's taken over um, conceals it for as long as possible or just immediately attacks the party. And and I rolled and, and he's going to conceal it, right? So I just took the, the player to the side and said, look, your character is identical stat-wise because that's what the mechanics say. You're, nothing has changed about your character. However, you're now evil – You've been, you know, your soul's been sucked out. This new soul is in there, and your job is to protect this other guy who's gone crazy. So, mm. a, so actually, there's two of them now <laughs> on the side of the bad guy. <laughs> and now, three does of them the th- one who's does the one who's being protected? Does he know? No, he has does no he idea. Have, have, okay, he has no idea either. Although there was, I mean, every, everybody in the party knows. Eventually, we got to kill this guy because we know what he is. He's he's bug nutty. He's talking to the bad guys. Right, uh, everybody's aware. Eventually, by the time this thing is over, we got to kill this guy. Hmm. Uh, and and in fact, uh, when the whole plume of smoke happened and Emix was freed, I, I I sort of described that he passed out, and and suddenly a debate starts. Hey, he's out. Should we just take him out now? <laughs> you know. <laughs> and the only guy who said no was the guy who had his soul switched, and so it worked out perfect because right when he needed a defender, somebody was there to defend him. Yay. Right. Um, nice. But but the the upshot of this is they've decided to ignore all the superfluous stuff. We got to go and, and take out Imix and, and stop them before they open up more nodes now because right. they're clearly on the verge of doing these things. Uh, and so they're they're ignoring all the side stuff in in the dungeon. It's just a straight shot. We're we're in the the big hallway. Let's just keep following the big hallway. It probably goes to the important place. Um, which means I think they might finish the whole campaign in one maybe two more sessions. Hmm. Uh, whereas if they explored everything, I think we get a good three or four sessions out of it, which which is fine by me because I think myself and and they as well are sort of ready. not not ready for it to end, but ready to 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 seek a, a sort of good sort of closure to the to the story, and mm-hmm. and we're already starting to sort of talk about what's going to come next. So mm-hmm. that's usually a good sign that people are ready to move on. Um, now I do have some issues of. How and when am I going to deal with this whole inevitable betrayal and party fight that has to be coming? <laughs> right? Do, have, do they do they know? Do they know this is coming, or or the four are not aware that the fifth is the bad guy, uh, the f- or that the fifth is a uh... the four is well, the four are aware that the one is a a champion of Therizdun. Okay, or at least they they heavily no. I think at this point they outright know it. They've been told by the leadership of the cult. Oh yeah, he's the backup plan. <laughs> right, in case Lareth falls through, this is our, this is Plan B. Uh, and and as we went through the entire dungeon, and they wiped out the cult layer by layer, um, nobody ever attacked him. Right, mm. it became very clear because like we we have instructions. He's to be protected. He's important. We've been waiting hundreds of years for a champion. Now we have two. We're not going to go slaughter him ourselves. You know. Right. Um, so no, it's been very clear what he is and who he is, and they know it's coming down to that. They don't know the other guy's going to be on his side. And I suspect it's all going to come to a head when they're in the middle of the fight with Emix. Right. I think they're going to lose, <laughs> you know? Mm-hmm. If you got two out of three party members – or two out of five party members and Emix on one side, mm. I don't know that the good guys could win this. <laughs> yeah. I may have hosed them in the whole thing. And you know what? Maybe that's okay. Maybe maybe it ends in a in a downer and the world is destroyed. But that also – like this whole campaign came out of the fact that they kind of lost the last campaign and lost the, the deck of many things, right? Right. That was sort of the impetus. I don't know. Do you think they're going to go all right? – they're going to be all right with that? I, I'm not sure. I think if I could find a way to have them lose but lose really gloriously, 
then maybe that would be fun and they, they would enjoy it enough to, to be okay with that. Mm. Um, if I, as a player, I would love that kind of thing. Right, but I don't know how much. Not everybody does. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, no, no. I know, I know, I know, I know. I'm just saying, like, there, there's, there's, there are two or three different types of players. There's ones that, you know, if they worked and toiled and all that really hard to get to the end, mm-hmm. and then they get defeated anyway, they're really bummed. It's like, what the hell did we do all this for? Then, you know, we just, it just, it, we died. You know, it, mm-hmm. it, it died. The world is gone. This is horrible. That sucked. And then there's people like me who think, wow, that was totally awesome. Yeah. Let's fast forward the timeline 100 years and see what the world looks like. Well, that's where the, but that's where this campaign came from, right? The, we they right. lost well, the last time course. and we fast yeah. forwarded 100 years. Yeah. Well, there you go. <laughs> this is what And honestly, you know, I, what it's about. honestly I kind of don't want to come back to the Nintir Vale. I'm kind of I'm kind of done with yeah. it. Yeah. Well, I mean, yeah, of course. But yeah, that's which, for another Which is almost almost sort of the, even more perfect, right? If yeah. if I destroy it, then we never have to come back, you know. Right. <laughs> And this is all taking place in the interview. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. That's hilarious. <laughs> nice. So I'm not. I'm, I'm honestly not sure what to do. I mean, there's other alternatives where several of them have patrons, right? Asmodeus is, is a patron for one of them. The, another one is is a is a high priest cleric, whatever. Uh, Moradin is, and has been talking to on occasion one of his exarchs. Um, you know, so there's other like I could bring in. NPC allies that could, you know, this is the moment we've been waiting for to help you out and, and send those in and have this weird situation where, like, there's an angel and a devil fighting on their side and um, do that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, you know. But- now, will the players that are playing the uh, pseudo-villains, will they be feel bad if their characters get wiped? I'm not sure, but I have to assume at this point they know what's coming. Right. I mean, the the one who's playing the guy who who is becoming the champion or has become the champion of, of Therizden, um is Andy Meyer, who's been on the show uh, before and, and uh, used to be a regular in the book club, right? So I think he'd be a good sport about it. Mm-hmm. Uh, I really do, um, and I think I mean he I think he's known from the beginning. I mean, it was session like two in the in the moat house that he first made the choice that put him on this path. And every time the the opportunities were presented to him to keep going down this path or 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 you know stray from it or hesitate from it or not do it or think about it, he's just been gung ho. Yeah, I'm gonna do it. You know. Right. So I think you know he's been. So if he old. if he dies in a burst of flames, he'll be okay. I think he'll be okay with it. Yeah. What about the guy who lost his soul? I think he'll be okay with it too, if if only because um, so he was in the campaign at the beginning and then dis- got married and disappeared for like several months. And the then, player, and the then came, did. and then yeah, the player did, and then came back, with, <laughs> and then came back like just gotta, gotta make sure I'm clear. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and then and then came back like two sessions ago with a brand new character. So I don't think he's super invested in into the whole thing, and I think he enjoys the fact that you know he's this now interestingly integrated into the larger story. So I think he'd be okay. I mean, honestly, so honestly, a, his character, yeah. his character is honestly already dead anyway. So well, that's what I was going to say. Like the only the only way to really reverse that is if if they had an angel fighting on their side that could do somehow like, you know, put, take give him back his soul, yeah, and take the, the 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 void that is there, you know, that's you know that has replaced it, mm-hmm. and you know what I mean. It would have to be some sort of angelic, you know, divine intervention kind of thing, but that. You know, feels you know if if the player was actually okay with with the whole thing, then to sort of reverse it like that kind of feels like you know chintzy. Yeah. No, I think, to... I think he's okay with the fact that he 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 has already faced a tragic loss, but now he's you know getting to kind of hose over the rest of the party, and he, I think he's enjoying that. <laughs> yeah. Huh. So, but yeah, so I'm, I'm just not sure. Do I do I throw them you know sort of monster NPCs? To, to to help them so that they have a you know an actual shot of winning this thing make it six against three instead of three against three with where one of them is Emix no do you I mean is it really a foregone conclusion that if you don't do that they will die no matter what I mean it's not a foregone conclusion but yeah, it is D and D next however it's yeah well it's D and D it's D and D next it could kill a level fourteen guy in like two rounds and it, and it and it and two PCs, oh, yeah. two PCs against three PCs could even you know be a serious risk if these guys could lose, you know. Yeah, right. It's, That's actually probably the bigger risk. It's the monk. Yeah, MX is just a distraction at that point. He's just there to even the odds because if it's two against right. three, it's it's going to be a pretty close fight. Mm-hmm. And it's the it's the rogue and the and the monk. <laughs> so. Mm. 
No big, no, no big revelations, huh? Well, well I, so, <laughs> I, I guess. A... Go ahead, Mike. Um, so one option is that Imix isn't actually a fightable bad guy, or if he is, he's super powerful, and they have some kind of weapon of mass destruction that they can use to even the odds on him, mm. which would even the odds in the overall fight. I mean that's that's one. I don't know if they've been collecting anything that would help them. Like you know, I know, you know, they, if I was they, had to go fight Emix, I'd, I'd I'd want to be prepared depending on what have, level I am. They have a talisman of pure good with one charge on it. So that you know, I don't know if you're familiar with the talisman of pure good, yeah, but you, I, I, you yeah. basically use it and it opens up a crevice in the earth and your enemy falls to the center of the planet. So that sounds like a and useful it's, thing and it's an, to and it's an instant you're... hit. Automatically works. An um, element prince. Yeah, it's an, it automatically works, but it only works against divine, evil divine casters. Like Imix? I, I suppose you could call Imix an evil divine caster. I think they've been saving it to use on the other member of the triad. Yeah, mm. but, you know, they might have that option, and you might even, you know, during the fight, you might say, no, this might not be a bad time. Yeah, maybe. <laughs> I don't know. The, the heart, I'll, I'll tell you, I've never had a lot of luck with party betrayal. Yeah, well, neither like, have I, but... Go but, home crying. I had a DM do something very similar when I've played through this adventure, and so I liked it, and I thought it was a lot of fun, so I used it too. Yeah. The trick is we, ne- we never got really to the end of the campaign really with that game, <laughs> so I don't, yeah. know how, I don't know how he was going to end it. I actually had a, a PC in a game – I was, a fourth edition game I was running. He was the, – the player was moving away, and um, he, wanted, he wanted to turn on the party at the end, at the end of the current campaign. Mm-hmm. At his last session, and so there was this sort of climax thing that happened, and he turned on the campaign, or he turned on the party, and um, but his other PC had actually died, and so this was a relatively new PC. It only been with the party for two or three sessions, and then, um, and then he he had his PC turn on them, and and he he held up his PC sheet, and he said, "I I really am evil. See, this this was planned the whole time, and." See, my alignment is it, it. It hasn't changed, you know. It's it is, you know. It is what it, you know, what it always has been. And that one of the other players goes, "Well, what is it, Dick?" <laughs> 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 so that's that. That's the uh, that's the betrayal alignment is Dick. Yeah, we have. I mean, even yeah, yeah. It, it, I don't know. It can be tricky in different players. Yeah. Well, and I, and I don't feel like the betrayal of the issue is going to be a huge I know. issue here because they've all seen it coming for six months now. Yeah, you know? so that's a different mm-hmm. story. Like in mine, if if we have a betrayal trail in our group i'm sleeping on the couch right yeah all right well i didn't get really get any uh real advice there so my time is up <laughs> well, I, get, but I, I think i think that's because um i think that weapon rough... of mass destruction is a good yeah that's, 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 yeah that's something I, may, I need i need to look at think about it it seems like there's not a lot of options there i mean because if I mean that's why I asked if it's a foregone conclusion because if it is, then you should prepare them for the fact that it is, but mm. that they can sort of go out in a blaze of glory kind of thing. Yeah. Um, but other- if it's not, if it's not, then you know, if they want to give it a go, then you know, you should just tell them, look, the dice are going to fall where they may, and yeah, yeah, yeah. you might not survive. And I think that's fine too. And, and honestly, I think they might be more strategic about the whole thing and try to take out the the champion. Before they get to that big fight, right? Because they're, they're, I think that, you know they can do the math too, right? Yeah. Um, so they might try to take him out early. My only concern with that is, well, great, but now Andy's sitting at the table with nothing to do at the last in the, the yeah. last encounter of the of the campaign, right? Well, then you have him play Imix. I have him play. Oh, I, yeah, I could have him play Imix. That might work. All right, that's giving me something yeah. to think about. Yeah, just make sure that you have something for him to do. Yeah. All right. That's not. That's not. Or too give hard. him an NPC if he can play in a, ho- yeah. a hero NPC or something yeah. like that. All right, I've got some. I've got some play- things. Things to move on then. Uh, before we move on to Mike, I want to l- remind people to go out and check out our affiliate links to D and D Classics and Amazon, available at thetomeshow.com. Just uh, look for the show notes for this episode, and we'll have the links there. And you know, you go shopping and you get your normal great Amazon prices or D and D classics PDFs, and uh, you know we get we get a little cut, a little a little taste, uh, to a help, little help us a do little, our thing. Yeah, a little cut, a percent, a percentage. <laughs> it's, it's a it's a little percentage. The, the percentage differs. You know, somebody Every. bought a, somebody bought a a three DS, and I got you know one percent of that, and somebody bought a mattress, and I got over six percent of that. So oh, no kidding. Yeah. Oh, I didn't realize that it changed. Huh? Yeah, it depends on the product. Yeah, the ratio changes. So anyway, 
Go there and buy lots of magazines. Go yes. there. And, oh, buy, yeah, yeah, yeah. Buy and lots it, of stuff. Used to do really well on gift cards too, but I think they reduced that. Man, I'd buy my own gift cards. Yep. There you go. Well, time for Mike. Go. So I started a new 13th Age campaign. We have moved off D&D Next for the time being, and we are now on to a 13th Age one. And uh, I didn't write a 72-page campaign guide <laughs> like Sam did, uh, but I did a little 29 bit 29 pages, it's not beautiful, 72. by the way. That is the, that is the best campaign guide <laughs> I've ever seen for like a home game. It's pretty amazing. <laughs> Um, Thank you. I did not do that. I I, I went with uh, a uh, shocker, lazier approach. Um, <laughs> but I did want to do a homebrew campaign. So I wanted to do something where I'm not dependent on or relying on published adventures. I, I'm happy to steal from them, but I don't want to base it on one. Uh, and we decided to have it in the 13th Age world. And we picked one particular area of the world, which is in the upper west, uh, the upper west of the Dragon Empire, known as Moonwreck. And I think in the book it has three lines, but it was enough. The three lines were interesting enough for me to go. You know, I I could run a, I could run a campaign there. And uh, those three lines are essentially that the before he was the Lich King, when he was the Archmage, the previous Archmage, the current Lich King fought the White, which is one of the five chromatic dragons that were part of that are now the three. There's only three of them left. Red, black, and blue are the three remaining dragons of the three. Uh, green is imprisoned and white is dead. Uh, he battled the white, and apparently, also in this area, it is said that the moon actually had come down and scraped against the land. And whether or not, and I think the third line of the description is whether or not these two are related is anybody's guess. And I'm like, you know, I I I really like the image of a mage standing there facing off against this enormous white dragon, and then you look, and behind the dragon, the moon is coming in, mm-hmm. you know, and plasters this dragon against the ground. And what else would that do? Well, it would destroy so everything. He hit him the with the moon. Is that what he you're hit saying? him with the moon? So one thing you have to remember about Thirteenth Age's world is the world is incredibly fantastic. It's like, you know, the world is flat for one, and it's layered. So like, you know, there's there's already massive you know, sort of scientific breakdowns. So the idea that the moon could actually come and scrape against the land isn't that outrageous. Yeah. But it's still pretty cool. And I like it because it's kind of like, how catastrophic would that be? Like, it left a, you know, 200 by 600 mile track in the ground, you know, where it ripped, where it just destroyed the ground and the gravity's all screwed up and magic is all screwed up and, you know, it unearthed all kinds of stuff. So then I said, okay, well, let's sit down and, and think about what this land is like. And I wrote up like six things about this area, uh, you know, six things that I could relate to the players. So they go, okay, this is what the area is like. And it's, you know, a contested, it used to be a big contested land and it's still contested. But since, you know, whether or not the moon actually did crash on the ground or, or scrape the ground is, is a, is lore, right? It's not necessarily the, the truth. But obviously some kind of ecological disaster happened in this area and whatever wars were fought there, now there are new wars there. Um, so I picked a bunch of different factions that are at war in the area and as a group we chose six of the 13 icons to be the primary iconic focuses foci of this campaign. Um, and we chose the Lich King, the three, who are the two main villain icons, uh, the Elf Queen and the High Druid, who are the two neutral ones, and the Priestess and the Great Gold Worm as the good aligned ones. And that way we can kind of narrow down a little bit on who's at play at any different given point. You know, there isn't kind of this like, well, every icon has to have some kind of representation going on in this area. We only have to worry about those six. And that's worked well in the two games that we've had. Um, I did one sort of interesting thing with this campaign. I, I wanted to start it off with a battle. And I wanted, I had done this before in a Dark Sun campaign and it worked really well. Where the very first scene, the very first thing that happens is the, one mm-hmm. of the characters gets smashed in the face with an axe. And I, I said, that's just, that kind of, you know, is the, the micro version of what a Dark Sun campaign should be like. And in this one, I said, okay, well, I want to start off with a battle. But I thought, how kind of interesting would it be if the group had teleported in, but as part of the teleportation and as part of the crazy-ass nature of this place, they don't actually remember who they are or why they're there or who sent them or what was going on. 
So then the very first battle is them like, oh, I'm fighting this stuff, but I don't really know what's going on. And then they'd slowly be getting their memories back as the battle goes on and then, you know, over time. And mm-hmm. that as long as they're in this area, their brain is a little bit scrambled. And mm-hmm. I've actually hung on to that for the last two adventures because it's a really good opportunity to retcon stuff mm-hmm. and a really good opportunity to kind of feed information later that they might have already known because they don't remember and now they suddenly remember. Um, so that's been interesting. My very first mistake was miscalculating how tough trolls are and forgetting that large creatures mm. need to count as two. So the very first fight, they fought four. <laughs> they're level three, and they fought four level four trolls who are Ooh. count as two. So it was the equivalent of eight level four guys versus five level three guys. And uh, they won, but they were dropping on single hits. Like they were, you know, no one died, but lots of people fell below zero. And I, 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 if I had looked correctly in the faces of the players, I should have realized that there was some math that was wrong. But I was kind of, <laughs> kind of used to things being a little swingy. And uh, and then they fought a normal fight, and it was so much cleaner. And I was like, ah, so that's what it was supposed to be like. Um. So luckily nobody wiped out and, and, you know, I did have the next day, one of the players was like, somebody had asked him like, how'd the game go last night? And he was like, well, we almost all wiped out the trolls in the first fight, but we'll see how it goes. You know, <laughs> not a good start for a campaign. Um, it's going to be a longer campaign. They, uh, you know, people have said they they, we've, these mini campaigns that we've been doing have been pretty short of like eight to 12 sessions and they're interested in something a little longer. Hmm. So I think I'll probably run this one until Gen Con. Um, and that's when next and everything will be out and then we can mm-hmm. actually play a published version of next. Uh, and then my goal is to go from three to 10. So they'll go the full range. They'll start at three cause they're kind of also bored of starting at level ones, even though level ones and 13th age are pretty tough. Um, but three to 10 should be a nice ra- big range with a lot of different things to go on. Uh, so I made, so last night was my second game and we had four players and it was very interesting switching kind of so they they ended at another fight they ended they ended being attacked by agents of the lich king who wanted to steal an a a black geode that they had recovered from inside this this un, unearthed tomb you know this strange ancient unearthed tomb and uh so they fought the they fought the agents of the lich king and as soon as they were done they're like I don't remember what we were supposed to do now. And I said, that's interesting because neither do your characters because your minds (laughs) are all scrambled up, right? And they're like, so what should we do? And I was like, and I made the fatal mistake of saying, why don't you roll an intelligence check? And they all rolled like three, three, two, one. (laughs) And I'm like, I can't possibly say, now you remember you should go do X, right? Like never ask for a roll. Normally, normally if you ask for a roll and all you need is one person to roll something halfway decent, it's, it's not, it's going to happen, right? Right. Like if you have five people at the table, the odds of all five rolling below 10 aren't great yet. It can still happen. And if you had a vital piece of information, you shouldn't have asked for the roll in the first place. Mm -hmm. So, and also I'm not trying to dictate what they do. So I don't want to say like, you want to teleport back like you know you you know they met a when they fought the trolls they met an npc and the npc said hey we sent you here to go to that old tomb and to find that whatever the hell's in there and bring it back and then come back up to the bronze city which is this floating city that's floating up above the land and you know we'll take care of you up there and and in my mind i thought they're gonna go they're gonna go into this cavern, they're going to fight some crazy stuff in the cavern, they're going to come out, they're going to fight agents of the Lich King, and then they're going to walk back to the teleport spot, and they're going to teleport back to the Bronze City, and then the memories will come back, and then I'll flood them with all sorts of information. Mm-hmm. And they didn't do that. And like, I think like at one point I was like, well, you have some choices. You can go back to the mountains where you originally came from, you can go west to the Burning Forest, or you can go you know, north to the Ebon Peaks or whatever. And they're like, uh, west, that sounds cool. So I had to totally come up, right? And I'm like, all right. Like, I'm not going to be like, are you sure you don't want to go back to the Bronze City? And I think at one point I even said something like, you know, teleporting back to the Bronze City is an option. And they're like, nah. 
So now the problem is I hadn't been a lazy DM, and I wrote up a, a long, like, <laughs> the one 1,600 words. Yeah, right, 1,600-word document about the Bronze City, and here are the major NPCs, and here's the major things going on, and here's major plot seeds, and here's all these, you know, all these fantastic locations because there's this big floating city, right? And it's run by, you know, I had politics, and I had an economy, all the crazy stuff I write in my book never to do. I did, and <laughs> and and just like my book says, I ended up not using any of it. So they ended up going into a whole different area. And at this point, I'm just pulling stuff out of my butt, right? Like they go to a I'm, – I'm doing the montage, which is kind of an interesting way, although some people like and some don't, where you say like, okay, you're traveling through the burning forest. Tell me about one situation you ran into on the way and tell me how you got past it. And they've all been coming up with kind of interesting stuff. And then one of them – said like I we come up to like a large rocky wall and I blow a passageway through the wall and I said you know I have a really cool map that I just picked up that looks like that so I'm going to put that map down and have them get attacked by by um ice ogres you know frost ogres and so I did and they ended up befriending the frost ogres <laughs> and one of them is now like a guy they all like who's named Goot G U U T with with umlauts above the U just so just to screw up my UTF eight <laughs> you know parsers and um, so uh, and and he said well if you want to find out more about the area you you're gonna want to go talk to you know Ezreal the 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 frost witch and they're like yeah let's go see her so they went and she's this cannibal frost giant witch and. And one of the characters immediately, she offered up food to everybody, and one of them immediately grabbed a bowl and started eating her stew. Oh, and, no. <laughs> and then the, the next one looked in the stew. He would finished the bowl, and the other one looks in the stew, and there are fingers floating around in the oh. stew. And the other one's like, oh, no. But he clearly, like, knew what he was doing. Like, you know, the player, obviously, Rob, knew right. exactly what he was doing. But it was still very funny. And she kind of said, yeah, there's this crazy-ass dark stuff under the – you know, ground of, of, of this this antithesis of life. It's not even undeath, right? Undeath still has a, a tie to life, and this is this negative, pure negative energy that still is full of hate and still wants to devour. But it's not, you know, it's it's older than the Lich King. It's older than almost any evil, and it used to live below the ground. But since Moonwreck, it's now been exposed, and recently, you know, recent earthquakes have unearthed it even more, and people seem to be hunting for it. So, and, and by the way, we've lost contact with the nearby village. And if you want to be our friends, you can go to the village. Um, so they said, okay, thanks for the stew. And they, <laughs> they took, uh, Goot and Goot led them to the village and they went into the village. And then while they were spending time there, zombies started to attack. And that's where we ended the session. Um, so I tried something interesting from 13th age. I've always had trouble exactly understanding how icons should come into play, how the icon roles should come into play. So I went with something a little bit more mechanical last night just to try it out, where I gave out blue tokens. If they were, Does everybody know how the icon roles work? Uh, only vaguely. Only from yes. this is what so, you've told me. So at the beginning of a... Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, so real quickly. Uh, at the beginning of a game session, you have one per... Everybody rolls 1d6 for every icon relationship they have, and they each have about three. And if you roll a five, there's a complication with that icon. And if you roll a six, there's something good that happens with that icon or related to that icon during the session. And the GM can use those roles to kind of guide how things happen during the session or guide the, the general direction. But it can be really hard to understand exactly how you should use those things. So one of the ways I thought, like, let me just try something and turn them into, like, the equivalent of fate points, action points, or uh, Numenera-style uh, GM intrusions and say, if you roll a six, you get a blue token. If you roll a five, you get a red token. If you have a blue token, during the game, you can, you can use that blue token and say, like, wow, I rolled really crappy on that skill check. But I think that my memories of the priestess remind me a, a little bit about this situation. And you throw in your blue token, and that means that you don't have to you, – you get it anyway, or you get to reroll the roll. Uh, or you can say, like, you know, my, my careful training with, uh, the, you know, with the paladins of the great gold worm steer my blade. I want to get plus two on my next attack roll and throw in the blue token. So it's kind of like an action point or, or sort of a, a, a bonus point thing. And we used it in our last session. And the only problem is they hoarded them. I mean, they didn't really hoard it, but they didn't use them in the only one fight we had. And then by the end of the session, they hadn't used them at all. And they, and I said, and, and, you know, halfway through the game, I said, you, by the way, those things aren't going to stack. You can't just hang on to them. 
at the end of this, you know, next mm. session, we're going to mm. roll for new ones and you're going to get new ones. And I had at least one player who's like, well, great. I, I rolled a six and I never used it. And now I'm losing it. And mm-hmm. I was like, yeah. So I'm wondering whether yeah. or not it's too mechanical. Well, so, um, you know what? I have found that that is a common thing when I take um, – anytime I, I play a game – with players who are used to the sort of D and D style, like okay, my major game is D and D, right? So right. pretty much every group I've ever played, their their major game is D and D. And if we play other games, it's sort of the offshoot game. And anytime I try to play a game that has like 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 Savage Worlds has binnies, like little tokens that do different things, and right. and you know Fate has Fate points on. Anytime where there's a game with points like that that have a kind of give and take economy, it takes at least two to three sessions for them to get. Because you're right, they hoard them because it's kind of like, well, they want to hoard up their power so that they can use it right when they know yeah, it's the right. exact right time. Or instead the of boss, just on thirty. Right, right, yeah. exactly. And so so that it takes a couple of sessions. So don't stop doing it that's my advice is keep keep doing it and and keep keep reminding them you know what those don't stack you should use that and you know it's not about using it at exactly the right moment it's about making that failure into the right moment to use that chip Mm -hmm. right that's a good that's good advice that said i'd say don't and this is going to be hard coming coming Mm -hmm. to to you mike but uh uh i would say don't be lazy about the icons also uh Mm -hmm. by leaning too heavily on this mechanical element to to make it work i think um i think one of the interesting things about the icon concept is that it changes the story yeah as you sit down and play the game as a dm you don't quite know what's going to happen with the story because you don't know what the icon thing is going to be right Mm -hmm. yeah so i think that's one of the the fun elements yeah, I don't think I don't think this precludes that, right? right? So like for example, last night even though Rob had a red token for the High Druid, uh when they went into um Azella the I can't remember her name. Azella the Ice Queen's uh your oh, I got to mention something. Um Randall in two episodes back mentioned the word yurt and how much he liked it. Uh-huh. <laughs> and yeah. I and I had I had Azella's the Ice Queen's yurt. And everybody around the table started saying yurt for the rest of the night. And they're like, as far as I can tell, that's the best word ever. And then so it's like literally at one point, everyone at the table is going yurt, 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 yurt. Nice. And I was like, Mike, and I had to stop calling it that just, you know, to try to get us back on track because it was getting at hand. Uh, but anyway, my point was that uh, one of the characters, uh, Rob, had a token for the High Druid. And because he'd had that with the High Druid, and she was tied to the Hydroot herself. She knew he was coming, and she welcomed him in. And, and and he was the one that ended up eating the cannibal stew, which works really well for a complicated thing with the druid, right? So it, it still had – there were still definitely effects and story changes because of the icon rolls. But it also – the tokens also gave the player a clear – like this is – you know, I rolled a six, and it really helped me. So I wouldn't mm-hmm. – yeah, I wouldn't use – I wouldn't – use this to preclude steering the adventure yeah. based on the icon rolls. Yeah, yeah, that's, that's right. all I wanted to make sure. Yeah, 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 you're absolutely But right. also, if you make them narrate something, and, and like the example yes. you used was, oh, yeah. if they if they failed it, they could say, oh, yeah, you know, but, but then my, you know, in my mind, I remember... Yeah, you know, I, I feel this 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 connection to you know the druid or whatever, right. and I just know this thing, mm-hmm. and it turns that role into a success. Well, there can be consequences for that, right? Because yeah. that's a connection, and and that can come out later, you know, in the narrative, not necessarily because of another icon role, but later on it you know if that player does that and it happens like four times well, hey you know by the time you actually interact more closely with that icon that icon knows you right. more mm-hmm. so than anyone else and so right. it has consequences that's that's yeah. a nice building yeah, sure yeah 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 and 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 i was tying in consequences with the red ones as well that if they had mm-hmm. a red token they could throw it in and treat it like a blue one but then i get it and then somebody you know, mm. some complicated. This mm. is like the, the Numenera GM intrusion. Then something equally bad could happen based on the same icon roll. But of course, then I have to come up with a reason why. Like mm-hmm. the trees are not cooperating with you, High Druid worshiper, and they grip mm. your foot, you know, <laughs> or something. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so I don't know. I, I'm going to try it again and and see how people like it. And and yeah, yeah, I'm still I still very much like that the icon rolls steer the story, and because we specifically narrowed on six. 
it's easier for me yeah. to kind of get my hands around mm-hmm. what they're doing, but still give a lot of flexibility to what happens. Well, and that, and that can that can guide where your story goes as well. You know, if right. if you've got these six and they're all sort of vying around a larger yeah. a, a larger story, right. then how those roles go determine you know sort of you know yep. who's yep. winning. You know, and there's some really interesting ones. Right. I'm I'm having a lot more, and I'm, I know my time's up. Um, I'm having some really interesting ideas with like the fact that the elf queen is not necessarily good. You know, that the neutral, the neutral icons are actually more interesting than the strict mm, good ones sure. or the strict evil ones because mm-hmm. they kind of go back and forth. And people tend to have certain expectations yeah. for them and, and they don't yeah. meet those expectations a lot of times. Yeah. And part of my non-lazy, lazy dungeon mastering has been to sit down and treat them like those dungeon world fronts where I say, okay, here are four main groups that are all associated to these icons and all of them have goals and all of them have like progression trees for their plots and how they're going to move along on their own. Mm-hmm. that ha- are happening regardless of what the PCs are up to. But then the PCs will start to see, oh, wow, I'd heard about this guy, and now I'm hearing about this. So, cool, yeah. good stuff. Well, I look, I look forward to chatting next time to see how all that plays out. And uh, I think next time when we chat, I might be uh, looking for advice on you know starting a new game. Ah, yeah. And, and and I just so happens I think the next thing we're going to play is Aeon Wave. So I somebody, oh, really? somebody here might be useful for that. Oh, I have I don't think anybody here could be. <laughs> I have <laughs> advice. <laughs> I have advice. Yeah, yeah. So You're playing at the right time cuz all the stuff is out now. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. Well, that was the I idea. I felt bad for anybody that played it when none of the junk was out, but now everything is out. <laughs> yeah. Handouts and all sorts of stuff. Yeah, very good. So we will talk about all that maybe next time around. Uh, so I guess in the meantime, thanks for joining us, and thanks to Noble Knight for sponsoring us, and thanks for you guys for you know being here. Say good night. Good night. Night or goodbye. It may not be. Goodbye. Night. I don't know Bye. when you're listening to this, but thank you for listening, no matter thank when you it for is. Listening. Thank you for listening. <laughs>